time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Friday, January 22nd, 2021. Happy Friday to everybody out there. I know I say happy Monday, happy Wednesday, happy Friday, but you know what? Good day to everyone out there. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you're listening to this podcast, it should be a happy day, right? Happy Friday, and Fridays do feel a little special because we head into the weekend, and usually that means football. Uh, we only have a couple more weekends of that left, and uh, this weekend in particular, it really is my favorite Sunday. I enjoy it more than Super Bowl Sunday because there's two games. It's the final four teams. It's who gets into the Super Bowl, and uh, it, it's just a, a nice day. I like the I like the kickoff times here on the West Coast, noon and three thirty. Uh, I think that's kind of what the West Coast and Midwest uh, people or East Coast and, and Midwest people kind of deal with uh, during the season. But for us here on the uh, West Coast, it's kind of nice. Nice little change of pace. So anyway, uh, happy Friday indeed. Got a great show for you guys today. Uh, have a great guest on, Vic Winnick, who is a college football official. He works uh, instant replay in college football. He also assists uh, in some NFL stuff as well up upstairs. Not uh, not the replay official or anything like that, but he assists with some of the game day operations in the NFL in some of his recent work. He's also a lawyer. Uh, he has a law degree and he'll tell us a lot about how his life uh, in the courtroom or life as a lawyer, if you will, how that uh, intersects at times with football and how you kind of might use both of those activities, both of those jobs to maybe better the other one. So a lot of fun conversations with my good friend Vic Winnick today that I'm looking forward to you guys hearing. Uh, I worked my first call, let's see, Division One football game with Vic. Uh, I only worked two of those, one AA down in San Diego, uh, but it was uh, with Vic and I was very happy that I was with him. Uh, it made all the difference knowing that uh, I was with someone who I knew. I hadn't really worked much football before with him, but I had talked a lot with him at Fox Studios. We were both members of the original class there in uh, 2010 with Mike Pereira getting that thing going. So uh, just a, a long conversation with Vic today that I think <laughs> you guys will enjoy. You might have to break it up. But if you like football, if you like uh, great guys, if you like uh, talking a little bit of law, just, uh, you know, all, all around good energy. I think you guys will really uh, appreciate this conversation I had with Vic Winnick. He and I had not talked in quite some time, and it was really good catching up and talking football. And, and he says it repeatedly in the interview. But Vic is a guy that he can talk football anytime. And, and I truly appreciate people like that because uh, I'm that way. You know, you want to talk football in April? You want to talk football in June? And, and any level. I'll talk high school. I'll talk NFL, whatever. So uh, looking forward to that interview uh, for you guys to hear that soon. Um, I won't ramble too long before the interview because it is rather long. And uh, there's not a whole lot to say today. I, I'm kind of leaving uh, some of my other opinion pieces, if you will, for Mondays and Wednesdays. I'm trying to focus more on our guest on Fridays since it is a fresh 
face every Friday, or that's the plan. Um, again, anyone who, who is uh, curious of coming on the program, don't hesitate to reach out. We, we love talking to people and just uh, hearing stories and talking about anything, really. A lot of sports and you know jobs of people, but just their journey. That's kind of what Fridays are for. Uh, we also have a, a Suds with Studs segment that we'll get to here shortly. Just a brief uh, a tribute, really, to, to a hero, to someone that can inspire us. And we call it Suds with Studs because these are people that we would love to sit down and have a beer with, not just by the first round, but every single round. So a lot of times, the people we honor are people that are not with us. They either were... Uh, killed in in combat or uh, just passed away from old age. We try to dig into history a little bit with some people in the military and law enforcement, stuff like that. And and those of you who listen to this podcast know kind of what that's all about on Fridays. A couple things. I will just get into kind of the NFL predictions uh, right here. Uh, I was excited about hockey season coming back. The new format, it's just a couple divisions. You're playing only divisional teams for cut down on travel. You're playing two games uh, back-to-back against your opponents. So like Tuesday at Las Vegas, Thursday at Las Vegas for, for, for like the Kings or the Ducks or the Ducks at Colorado, Ducks at Colorado, you know, back-to-back. Well, not back-to-back nights sometimes. But anyway, that was kind of the new format. And I was like, man, that's going to be entertaining hockey man that's 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 just great there's going to be some bad blood and that's going to be quite intense a little shorter season because if you remember they they uh had their bubble in the playoffs in the summer so they're kind of shortening their season this year anyway i was really excited about hockey and then wouldn't you know it my la kings oh oh and three only have uh two points to their name a couple of overtime losses um and for those of you that don't know you get two points for a win in hockey and one point for an overtime loss. So uh, that's kind of how their standings work. And the Kings are in dead last place in the uh, the West right now. And I'm just like, really? I was so fired up about the season. It's a long season, a little shorter than normal. But uh, anyway, hopefully hockey will get me through a few months here as we close out the football season. So I'm really hoping for better things from my LA Kings, man alive. Uh, okay, to the NFL picks. We have this weekend two very good football games. We have some great storylines in the AFC. You got the defending champion, uh, Kansas city chiefs. Patrick Mahomes is apparently going to play, uh, was injured in the, in the divisional game last week. He's going to play this week. He's the, the top quarterback in in the league right now and can really, uh, most, most people project he will go down as one of the greatest ever. And he's got one super bowl already. I don't know if he'll ever catch Tom Brady in his six currently, or even maybe a seventh this year. Who knows? Uh, but Patrick Mahomes is the face of the NFL, the future, and uh, every quarterback that comes in the league is going to be compared to him uh, from here on out. Uh, the Chiefs are going up against the Buffalo Bills, another young quarterback in Josh Allen, who struggled his first few games, or first for you, excuse me, few years, I should say. And then he got hot. He got consistent. He got... I mean, he started to play well. The entire team started to play well. So you got uh, the Buffalo Bills who haven't had much success since their early 90s runs where they were so close four different times and losing the Super Bowl. And they're playing the uh, defending champion Kansas City Chiefs. The game will be at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City as the Chiefs are the number one overall seed in the uh, AFC. Um, I'm excited about this game. I think we could see some points in this game. Uh, what's interesting is Buffalo doesn't really 
uh, run the ball very well. Kansas City can run the ball well. Uh, Buffalo played pretty good defense last week against Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Uh, Kansas City kind of just hung on for their game with Patrick Mahomes out, right? So uh, I know Andy Reid is going to be aggressive. Um, Sean McDermott, the head coach of the Bills, he's got nothing to lose. They're going to go all out. Um, I think the Bills play tough in this game. It's back and forth. I'm going to say that Buffalo sends this game to overtime, but ultimately Kansas City pulls out a last-second win. I think someone gets loose, uh, and they have a walk-off win in overtime. I have the Kansas City Chiefs winning the AFC uh, 29 to 23, 23 in overtime uh, and advance to their second straight Super Bowl. In the NFC, we have the Battle of the Twelves, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. Tom Brady's first NFC championship game, but his 14th, or maybe it's his 15th overall. He's been to, I lose track. This guy's been in, uh, it seems like he plays every single championship weekend. And this time it's with the Tampa Bay Bucks. And uh, he goes to the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field. Uh, last week, Green Bay really looked good against my Rams. They ran the ball so well. They were physical. Um, Aaron Rodgers, they, they, you know, is Aaron Rodgers. He's spectacular. And, and they kind of mixed the run in the past really well. Uh, but I do like Tampa Bay in this game. And here's why. First of all, uh, Tom Brady is running the show. Um, I think in most years, a team... Tampa Bay going to Lambeau Field, going to the cold would be an issue. But Tom Brady, even though he's a California kid like Aaron Rodgers, uh, Tom Brady went to Michigan. He played 20 years uh, in New England. He has played probably more bad weather football games than uh, in, in the playoffs than any other quarterback. And he's got the most postseason games of any quarterback. Anyway, um, I think Aaron Rodgers uh, and Tom Brady kind of duel it out. This game's going to go back and forth, but I do think Tom Brady on the road with the upset uh, beats Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. And, and you've seen that the Packers have lost some playoff games in, in recent future, right? The games they should not have lost. And I'm not saying it's it's relative or, or it's related or anything, but I don't know. I think it's worth mentioning. Uh, the quarterbacks are really close. Okay, they're really, really close as far as their performance goes. Older guys, veteran guys, uh, both from California, Northern California, ironically. Uh, but anyway, the coaching side of things, I think it's pretty even there. Matt LaFleur's had great success in Green Bay. Uh, Bruce Arians has a great track record. I think it's pretty even there. I give the edge to Andy Reid over Sean McDermott in the AFC, but in the NFC, I think Bruce Arians and uh, Matt LaFleur are, are pretty even there. Both offensive-minded and you know a little bit more aggressive uh, on one side and maybe a little more balanced on the other. But I do think um, I'm giving the edge to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, I am going to say that this game does not go into overtime, but I like Tampa Bay to win this football game, and I will say that the game will be 34 to 31. Tampa Bay, a little high scoring advances, even though it's cold out there, they put some points together and win the NFC. And Tom Brady is, of course, fittingly the first leads a team to play their first uh, home for host. Try this again. Play a play a Super Bowl on their home field 
uh, for the first time in NFL history. It's just a prediction. Don't yell at me, guys. That's just what I see happening. And if you're listening to this on Sunday and seeing the exact opposite happen, uh, don't hold it against me, please. I'm just I'm just making a guess because honestly, you never know with this stuff. I mean, flip a coin at this point. It both both home teams are favored by three points, which doesn't mean anything. And uh, you got some really good matchups. So that's just what I think will happen. Okay. Let's take a breath. Let's get to our Suds with Studs segment. That's a rather quick one today, and uh, we'll get straight from that to our long-form interview with Mr. Vic Winnick. Happy Friday, guys. Happy football. Only one more weekend after this left, and that's the Super Bowl in two weeks. So uh, anyway, let's uh, hopefully have a good Get Home Safe podcast today, followed up by two great football games on Sunday uh, as we ring in another weekend, if you will. I'm going to take a quick break, and then we'll dive right into Suds with Studs. Well, on Fridays, as you know, we like to pay tribute to some heroes, talk about some law enforcement or some military personnel, uh, just share some quick summaries or, or quick stories of, of some people that really can lift us up and just pay tribute to some people that have truly made uh, America great and some people that have come before us and paved the way for so many of us. And we love doing this segment on Fridays. Uh, we call it Suds with Studs because these are people that we would love to sit down and have a beer with and not just by the first round, but every single round. And today, uh, we're talking about someone from World War II, a, a United States uh, Marine. And what I did last week with our guest on Friday is I looked up their last name to see if there were any Medal of Honor winners uh, with that last name. And sure enough, there was. And so last week's Suds with Studs segment, we paid tribute to uh, an individual with the same last name as our guest, Chuck Lyon. So uh, I was not able to find that uh, the, the last name again this week for our guests. But in doing so, I said, you know what? I'm going to look up and see if there's any W's, uh, any, any, any Winnicks out there. And what I did find was an individual uh, with a name that sounds similar. It's not spelled the same. And I, I, you know, there's no relation. I know it's not the same thing as finding the same thing, right? But uh, I want to talk today about Frank P. Wittick. And the last name is spelled W-I-T-E-K. Uh, not quite like Vic Winnick, but uh, Frank P. Wittick is our uh, is the person we're going to talk today about in our Suds with Studs segment. Um, Mr. Wittick was a private first class of the Marines, uh, 1st Battalion, uh, 3D Marine Division. He was serving in uh, Guam, and he was the Medal of Honor winner. Uh for heroic actions on August 3rd, 1944. I want to read for you the citation here of Mr. Wittick. And I think it's something that uh, we, we can all kind of picture in our minds and really get an understanding for why he was awarded the Medal of Honor. A true hero here. And I, and I just want to read his citation. So uh, here we go. For conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty while serving with the 1st Battalion, 9th Marines, 3D Marine Division during the battle at Finnegan at Guam, the Marina Islands, on August 3, 1944. When his rifle platoon was halted by heavy surprise fire from well-camouflaged enemy positions, Private First Class Wittick daringly remained standing to fire a full magazine from his automatic 
machine gun at point blank range into a depression housing of enemy troops, killing eight of them and enabling the greater part of his platoon to take cover. During his platoon's withdrawal for, for consolidation of lines, he remained to safeguard a severely wounded comrade, courageously returning the enemy's fire until the arrival of stretcher bearers and then covering the evacuation by sustained fire as he moved backward toward his own lines. With his platoon again pinned down by a hostile machine gun, Private First Class Wittick, on his own initiative, moved forward boldly to the reinforcing tanks and infantry, alternately throwing hand grenades and firing as he advanced to within 5 to 10 yards of the enemy position and destroying the hostile machine gun emplacement and an additional 8 enemy before he himself was struck down by an enemy rifleman. His valiant and inspiring action effectively reduced the enemy's firepower, therefore enabling his platoon to attain its objective and reflects the highest credit upon Private First Class Wittick and the U.S. Naval Service. He gallantly gave his life for his country. Uh, Mr. Wittick was awarded the Medal of Honor uh, let's see here, 1944, excuse me, I'm sorry I lost that, but anyway, uh, just truly remarkable stuff uh, for Mr. Wittick to uh, just, without hesitation it sounds like, uh, be right there for his fallen comrades, uh, not only cover them and lay down fire, but then to continue to cover them as they were pulling uh, these men out on stretchers and walking backwards while continuing to fight. And then it sounds that to me as when there was a counterattack, he was, uh, he was ready to go and led the charge, literally shooting machine guns, firing, uh, firing machine guns and throwing grenades, uh, and taking down the enemy again to protect his brethren, I'm sure. And, uh, I, I wish I knew more on this guy. I, I tell you every week, guys, please go read about these people. Look up, look up his name. Look up his name. Frank Peter Wittick. Frank P. Wittick. W-I-T-E-K. And somebody that I think, uh, we can all bow our heads at night and be thankful for people like him for these miraculous acts. And, and, you know, in, in some really, really troubling times, we see, uh, we've seen in 2020, we see, we've seen already in this short year, uh, we've had, and just, you know, whenever the past decade, the past few years, there's been some tough times. And, uh, when you really reflect on people like Frank P. Wittick and think about their tremendous sacrifice, try, try to think about if you could do some of those things, if you would just, uh, act without, well, without thinking being there for people that you knew, but you probably didn't know that long, but then to see them down on the ground, injured, um, you know, maybe dying and then to step in and defend them, defend them and, and try to save them, I think is just truly remarkable. And uh, just one of many continued examples that we want to continue to talk about here on uh, our studs with studs segment. Uh, Frank P. Wittick, you are no longer with us, but sir, you are someone that I salute. I raise a glass to you. I would absolutely love to sit down and have a beer with you and not just by the first round, sir, but every single round. So thank you for your service and your sacrifice. And you are one of many uh, people that we want to continue to talk about here on Fridays in our weekly segment, Suds with Studs.
Okay, today I am joined by Vic Winnick. We are recording on Sunday afternoon. There's some football on here uh, in the NFL. And so Vic and I are going to chat a lot about football today. Uh, Vic is a football official at the college level. He's worked some instant replay. He, he uh, works with a law firm. There's a lot of different things to chat about. Uh, football's kind of in his blood, and I'll let him fill you in about all of that stuff. But uh, anyway, Vic Winnick, good morning. Thank you for joining me today. Good morning. Happy New Year, Matt. Oh, Vic, it's a pleasure, man. I haven't seen you in a long time. I, we used to work at Fox Studios together. That was always a blast because uh, there was no pressure there, really. We, we had some fun. Pereira would get worked up over us fooling around maybe here and there, but uh, it, that was a blast, and I miss that this season. I do, too. It was great times. Wonderful, wonderful experience. Oh, Vic, you're always someone uh, I see. You always have a smile on your face. You're always open to chat about anything you would always call me uh call me blue hey blue what's you know as uh, the whole umpire thing and i just you always called me that i'll never forget that uh but but anyway vic uh, there's a ton of football to talk about today um the college season just ended the nfl season is uh quickly approaching the the final four if you will and um it, it's been a different year a different season on, on many accounts uh, we're going to talk about your football officiating journey. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, of stops along the way as far as leadership roles, as far as uh, the co college level, even assisting uh, currently a little bit in, in the NFL side of things. Uh, if you could sum up why you love football before we kind of get going, what is it that makes football great in your eyes? You know, it is a, just for me, it is a passion and it is, uh, it has been a part of my life since I was a little boy. I've been around the game of football in one capacity or another since age seven. And I, you know, again, one, one capacity or another, either following my dad out to a football field, being a, his, his guy on the clip, uh, or uh, my own journey, either as a, a player, athletic trainer, coach, and football official. It's just been a, it's, it's been a part of my life. And as a real good friend of mine, Jim Wary, uh, has pointed out many, many times, we've done this football officiating longer than we have done anything else we've done in life wow. for the most part. And I can definitely say that I have been around the game of football longer than I've done anything or been around anyone other than my parents or my brother for my entire life. Wow. I, 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 that's a good way to put it. Jim Wary is a great guy, great official. And uh, that's a really good way to put it. I've never thought of it that way. Um, it's crazy for me, you know, Vic, not to make you feel old or anything, but I'm, I mean, I'm ancient. <laughs> you're ancient. I mean, uh, you know, you've been doing this stuff almost as long as I've been alive. I mean, which is, which is crazy to think about. I'm like, wow, that's, that's really something. And so, uh, to you and your colleagues, I mean, that's just, that speaks volumes. And to those who aren't officials, I mean, yeah, you really got to get a, an understanding of guys do this for a long time and they're pretty good at it. So when mistakes are made, uh, it's not like guys are incompetent or whatever. It's, it's you know, guys have put a lot of time into this thing. Um, well, Vic, if you can, take us to the beginning. You talked about when you were playing ball as a kid. Where did you grow up and uh, where did you end up playing your first football and uh, end up uh, going to high school? So I grew up in Los Angeles, right in the middle, uh, middle of the city, Mid-Wilshire District, the Hancock Park area. Um, I'm a sixth generation Californian, fifth generation Angelino. So I, I am definitely a, a local to uh, <laughs> Southern California in the Los Angeles area. Um, 
I didn't play Pop Warner. I played flag football. My dad was officiating high school and youth football at the time, and he had played, and he just was not a, a, a fan of the, the youth of the Pop Warner. But he said, hey, I think you should, if you're interested, play uh, flag football. So I played played that. We moved overseas when I was a kid. Uh, and so that was a kind of a, another chapter in my life. We came back to the United States uh, for high school. And um, I first went to uh, Daniel Murphy High School. We had gotten back uh, late, um, just in the, the late or the mid fall of, of uh, my freshman year. So the only school that, I could kind of, that was close by I could kind of get into I uh, was uh, Daniel Murphy High School, went there, then transferred to Loyola High School, and then uh, went off to uh, college. I played, played in college and went to Linfield College, which is a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, football powerhouse and a great liberal arts college. Transferred then into USC uh, after playing, then got into uh, athletic training, coaching, and then officiating. And I've been officiating ever since. Wow. Wow. Well, Loyola High School, um, you know, very good football school, very, especially at that time. And then you transfer up to Linfield College up in Oregon. Uh, What position did you play in college? And uh, did you guys have some success up there in Linfield? We did. We did. We, uh, (laughs) Um, I played defense. So I, I played initially defensive end outside linebacker. Uh, We had a string of injuries to our nose guards. And so the coaches would rotate in anybody who could make the reads as a, as a, uh, a nose guard. So I was a little bit of an undersized nose guard. Um, and interestingly, I played against two of my fellow officials uh, who were in the big sky conference with me. Now they were on opposing teams. So, yeah, we did have, we won the 1984 national championship game. And right. um, we, we were recognized for that. And uh have had some wonderful, wonderful uh, success and in being inducted into the uh, Oregon State Hall of uh, or- the Oregon Oregon State's Sports Hall of Fame. All right, see, uh, listeners, we got uh, some big timers here on this podcast, like uh, Hall of Famers, like like Dick Winnick here. Awesome. Uh, well, uh, Linfield's a great football program. Have have won uh, you know some national championships and uh, so. What made you? Th- was your eligibility up, or what made you then transfer down to USC? So I wanted to. I- Linfield was very, very small. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted to, I wanted a bigger college experience. Um, I had wanted to go to University of Arizona and I was interested in, in uh, going to University of Arizona. Uh, I also was interested in going to UC Davis. And uh, my grandfather was very, very ill. And I go, you know, I just want to, I want to come back to the Los Angeles area and be close to the family. And um, so I had, had been at that point committed to USC and my grandfather had passed away actually uh, uh, just prior to me enrolling in, at USC. And it was an outstanding choice. Absolutely loved it. Those were the years of Ted Tolmer. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, you, you at USC was just an absolutely uh, wonderful experience and a great education. And I, we have to say, so was Linfield. I just wanted a bigger, bigger school experience. Oh, understood. You had played the D3 football up there. And so what, did you attempt to, to walk on the, the Trojan football team? I did. I did. And I definitely was not Rudy. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, come on. There, there's you telling me there's a there was a difference between D three football and uh, and Pac twelve football back. <laughs> oh, probably about a hundred and eighty pound difference. Yeah. <laughs> did you so so you put the you but you did throw the pads on and go on that practice field and give it a I try. I did. I did and got absolutely punished. Um, uh, and you know, interestingly, it, it it was a good learning experience. Football wasn't fun at that that time. Uh, okay. you know, you have to have fun doing something and it's really not fun, uh, you know, just getting battered all the time. So it, the natural, the natural transition then went into, Hmm, let me do something else. And I ne- didn't necessarily want to coach, uh, but I was more interested in athletic training and the medicine side of it. And I had been a firefighter paramedic through a program up at Linfield, or actually it was through the city up there. And, um, uh, I, was still a paramedic, came down to Los Angeles and, uh, and then became an athletic trainer and, and was the athletic trainer at Loyola High School or assistant okay. athletic trainer at Loyola High School and coached as well. So, so you get your political science degree at, at USC and uh, it's fascinating, Vic, because yeah, you go into, you go from firefight medic while in college, which I can't imagine these days, college athletes be also being like a firefighter and a paramedic on the side. Like, I, I just can't picture that. Uh, so, so God bless you for doing that. And then uh, you're going to school and played football and then you transfer to USC. Uh, so it all comes full circle. You graduate and you come back to your alma mater at Loyola and you're going to be an athletic trainer. At that point, did you think uh, you'll do this for a while or, or, and you said you landed into coaching, right? Right. Yeah. So I, I originally got into um, the athletic training. I liked the medicine, the sports medicine. Uh, I, Vic Winnick and mathematics don't do really well. So um, <laughs> first uh, down, second down, third down, fourth down. That's about as high. That, as that's, I, I keep it on. Keep it on one hand. Remember, <laughs> I, I remember the thumb stays there, so I can't have five downs. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, no. So you know, I had had I had all the desire to go to medical school, but I just didn't have the MCAT scores. My mathematics skills were horrific. Wow. And. I, I really did enjoy, though, the sports medicine. So I thought about physical therapy. And uh, at that point, I, I, I said, you know, maybe physical therapy might be something to get into. Maybe giving medical school a, a, a better shot might be something like into sports medicine, orthopedic surgery. And then uh, I, I just kind of found that eh, I didn't really want to coach. I, I began coaching and I, I worked for... Um, John Dawson, who was the athletic director of Loyola High School at the time, and he really made this made this uh, assistant athletic trainer position come available for me. And he came up to me one day and he says, "You know, Vic, you played the game. You know the fundamentals. Would you walk the different fields here and coach um, our freshmen, our sophomore, and our varsities?" And he says, "I don't want you to be the primary coach. I want you to come in and if they they have poor technique." Uh, correct their techniques, correct their fundamentals. Uh, mm. We want to have we want to have safe play out here. Mm. I said, sure, I can completely do that. And I think you know, looking back on it today, he was really ahead of his time. And maybe he really wasn't ahead of his time because I really do believe that all all professional athletic people, athletic directors and coaches, they want the best for their players in the safest environment. But he was really he had the foresight to say, hey, I have somebody who has the knowledge and the skill. Let's reinforce this if he, you know, just a second set of eyes. So that's how I got into it. 
And I happened to be dating a girl at the time whose dad was uh, an NFL headlinesman, uh, Sid Seaman. And, uh, you know, Sid was talking to me about coaching and he had coached and I go, yeah, you know, coaching's just not my thing. And he goes, I can kind of tell. And I, I just didn't like going out and having to scout. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but I, I love the analytics of it. Absolutely love the analytics and studying and the film. And mm-hmm. uh, I love that aspect of it. And he goes, well, you know, you ever think about officiating? I said, well, I've thought about it, but I don't know how to get into it. And then he kind of made some things happen. He says, hey, I, this is where I'd like you to go. Go down to Gardena High School on Tuesday nights. Uh, I have a, a, a family friend who we're going to uh, uh, get involved in officiating too. And so in 1986, we started, uh, myself and Greg Wilson, uh, we started in the new man's class at Gardena High School in the uh, CFOA South Bay unit. And I got into officiating that way and have been officiating ever since. So you and for those that don't know, Greg Wilson's an NFL back judge currently. And uh, uh, so it was you and him. And then uh, I'm sure a few others, uh, yeah. you told me, uh, are how many from that first year class are still officiating? So we had 36 in our first year class, <laughs> 36 up until last. Well, so, up, so this, as of this year, there are only two of us remaining. Greg Wilson and myself. <laughs> that is, that's fascinating. For, for, for about the last five or six years, there were three of us. There was a, an official by the name of Scott Vranish uh, from the Santa Monica area. And he had, he was the one who actually brought this to our attention. He goes, you know, out of, out of 36 of us, there are only three of us today. There are only two of us. Oh man. It's crazy. You know, I, cause I've heard guys say that before. And I know for me, uh, my first year, and, and there's a few connections to a few friends that, you know, still officiate. And you look at that room, it wasn't 36 people, but yeah, it's always, you don't get those guys coming back this, the next year. And then eventually guys just kind of uh, move on. So that's, that's crazy stuff. So when you joined the, the officiating class, you look around, there's 36 guys in this room and uh, you know, what was your first I don't know, thoughts about officiating. Were you intimidated at all by the classroom or the conversations or were you kind of drawn into it? Well, you know, I'll tell you, I was actually very drawn into it. I, I realized immediately there was so much I did not know about football. <laughs> like I've played, I've played this game. I've coached this game and there's just so much I don't know. But, you know, from, from that very first time I set foot into that new man's class, I had two goals and my ultimate goal was to officiate a Rose Bowl game. And my second goal was to officiate in the Pac-10, or which is now the Pac-12 conference. And um, I, had a, I have a photograph at, at, at home in my hallway, and it was my father's, and it's of my great-grandfather officiating the very first Rose Bowl game. My great-grandfather, Phil Wilson, was the oh. first I uh, was the first headlinesman of the very, very first Rose Bowl game. And so that has always been a desire of mine to play in the Rose Bowl. Well, that didn't happen. So the next thing is I want to officiate a Rose Bowl just like my great-grandfather did. And that certainly hasn't happened, and I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, but it's always been my ultimate goal and one of my drivers. Oh, man, that, that's that's so cool. I mean – to think about the the Rose Bowl, you know how old it is. The granddaddy of them all, and here is your great granddaddy uh, working the granddaddy of them all in 1902. The first Rose Bowl. That is a, and that's something to be very proud of. 
man, I, I love the role every year. It was so weird seeing it in, in Texas this year. That's a whole nother story. But every New Year's Day, you, you turn on and you see the the colors and the mountains and you're just like, man, this is this is awesome. So, so to have that history uh, in your family is, is pretty cool there, Vic. Yeah, very cool. I, I, it's something I keep very close to my heart. Uh, you know, I, I don't share it. I share it with people. I, I'm happy to share it, you know, but it's not something that I've I've used to try to, to make as a tool or, or something. It just, it, to me, it's just something very special. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Uh, definitely special. Um, oh, we all good. Uh, well, let's see here. Hey, Vic, real Winnick, what, what is the, uh, the origin of uh, your last name Winnick? So that's, that's a, that's a, that's, that's a left field question. I, I just, you know, I look, I was looking at the notes here. I said, Vic Winnick. Hey, I never, what is, you know, what is, people ask me all the time, hey, what's Hersema? And I'm like, it's Dutch. It's from the Netherlands. Anything really that ends in a, that SMA, S, you know, is, is kind of, what is it? South or East? I don't remember. I don't know that much. But anyway. So, the, so ha, just, I happen to know that and say that the introduction be saying Dutch, I'm going, wow. For the longest, I grew up thinking, we all thought it was a Dutch name that had been shortened. Uh, turns out it wasn't a Dutch name. And turns out that it is a, uh, we believe a Welsh name. Oh, okay. And it, uh, John Winnick was a British soldier of, in the revolutionary times. So it was a red coat. Um, after the revolutionary war, he stayed in New York <laughs> and uh, he had married a Dutch woman. So I think that somewhere in the family lores it's being passed down that's how we thought it became a, you know, a Dutch name or, or, or possibly that was the cover story because nobody wants to admit they're a red coat, right? <laughs> That's funny. Well, I always say, uh, you know, it's, it's corny, but if, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much, you know what I mean? So, uh, <laughs> anyway, oh, that's, that's funny. Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you off there, Vic. I was just like, oh, no. I've never had, let's talk about some, uh, some name history here. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, so you start officiating and uh, at, at what point do you go, or you talked about medical school and this and that, uh, you eventually end up going to law school. So when, when was that alongside your officiating career? So I, I got into officiating uh, probably about age 22 and um, went out into the work world, uh, did some ins- insurance work, investigate, insurance investigations, medical malpractice investigations, um, insurance adjusting. And then after that, I decided to go to law school. So I was about 28 when I went to law school and I was still officiating at the time. And so I officiated while going to law school. And until you actually bring it up, it's something I I really probably haven't even verbalized to anybody else is that those Friday nights working varsity football games and then those Saturdays working junior college games was my peace and my sanctuary away from studying in law school. It made everything go away. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely wonderful. And I, I took it, it's funny that you say, I, I took a night class uh, in criminal procedure and another night class in juvenile law. And I took those in the fall during, um, obviously during football season. Uh, and I can remember working some lower division games, hustling from a field, trying to get to, lo- to my law school class. And there are many times I didn't have a chance to, sh- to, 
to shower or even change. So I go in wearing my knickers and a, at least a clean uh, t-shirt and I've dried sweat, messy hair. <laughs> oh boy. Hey, there's, there's some kind of irony there about, you know, the referee uniform in a law school yeah. class, you know what I mean? That that's, that's pretty funny uh, to, to picture. And uh, I think, there's something to that, Vic, as far as an escape. A lot of guys do get into officiating because it is an escape from their jobs, from, uh, I'm not saying run away from family or anything, but, you know, it just, it's, it's, a, it's a hobby for a lot of guys to get, I think it's a good, a good thing to get into because, yeah, when, you know, the ball is kicked off and that whistle blows, you can't have any things on your mind that are in the outside world. It needs to be a total commitment to focus. It is, you know, and you think about it, if you're doing it just right, you're focusing for anywhere from 15 to maybe 50 seconds, 150 to 250 times a, a game. And you're doing that. And that's a, that's a lot of mental, mental fatigue mm-hmm. that comes from that type of focus. And I think that that really helps us. I think it helps us in what we do. Um, you know, further, further down the line in, in, in life, if we can maintain that focus on a football field, why can't I maintain that focus in doing my work? Or why can't I maintain that focus when I'm with my family? And, you know, you, you'd mentioned uh, something about, you know, work and not an escape, football not being an escape from family. And I, I agree with you. And I just want to throw something in here. I had, I, I don't know if you recall Norm Shackner. Uh, he was a, uh, a longtime referee from the Los Angeles area was an NFL referee. Uh, and he used to teach uh, and then was a principal, I believe at Los Angeles high school. And he also would teach at clinics. And I remember going to a clinic and he must've been 90 years old at the time. And he said something that I still remember this day. And I still try to, to teach when I instruct classes is get your priorities straight. Your priorities first are your God or your religion, your family, your wife and kids, then your job, because if you got to have that job there, and then football officiating. And don't mix that order up. And we all know guys that have mixed that order up. And what happens? Their life gets mixed up. And, you know, if, if you, if you put, the, put the wife in the wrong order, wife's not happy. Put the boss in the wrong order the uh, boss isn't happy, you know, and you, you don't want to try putting God in the wrong order because you, you're probably not going to get a second chance knowing he's not happy. Um, <laughs> yeah. And coaches are never happy. That's why, you know, officiating can go uh, at, well, at the exactly. end. <laughs> that, so I, did, you know, I want to at least share that. I go, you know, priorities are really, 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 really an important thing. And the other thing that makes officiating, I won't say necessarily fun. It's a, it's a struggle and it's a challenge, but that challenge is kind of fun, is balancing those priorities. Mm. And if you can balance those priorities with officiating, you can pretty much achieve other priorities in your life. Oh, 100%, Vic. And you cannot have, in, in any aspect, we're talking about officiating, but it can go with anything. I mean, you can't do something well if you don't have the support from your, your loved ones. You're, you know what? They can't have animosity towards you for going to do something because you're going to carry that with you knowing, oh, my spouse is, is, uh, is mad I'm doing this. You just can't function as well if you don't have that, that support. And, and likewise, football, football uh, 
uh, assigners, they have to understand too that, you know, there are home lives, there are job lives. And I think most of them understand that. They understand, as you said, the balance and definitely prioritizing all of those one through four in the right order. Yep. Awesome stuff there. Well, so, uh, okay, where were we? We were, we were talking to JV games, going uh, hustling to, to uh, law school. Uh, so so you, you finish up law school and, I mean, did you kind of know the type of law you wanted to go into at that point? Uh, yes and no. Um, I, I eventually ended up, I eventually ended up doing workers' compensation defense work. We represent insurance companies and employers and professional sports teams, uh, in workers' compensation matters. I had gotten into that area because I, it was very strongly based in medicine. You needed to have a real good medical, um, background if you wanted to be pretty successful. The other aspect of that is that it was an area of the law that would not necessarily tie up my weekends and it would allow me the opportunity to still officiate. And so that's that's what uh that's kind of what would have kept me there and, and attracted me to it. And then through a career working uh, law firm, I, I now am the managing director of our Los Angeles office running our, our LA operation. And at one time uh, we handled uh, a lot of sports injury uh, workers' compensation cases. So we represent various ball clubs and we'd occasionally get some professional football teams in. And I had to recuse myself because um, I may have uh, a bias or a prejudice there, or I may have been a witness to uh, one of these players back in their high school or their college days playing. Uh, and there may have been an injury there. And there were actually a couple of cases that uh, I actually knew that the injured professional player had sustained those injuries elsewhere. And I had to recuse myself. And so at that point, I just kind of trickled away from the sports injury uh, workers comp cases. And that, and we just continued on with regular, regular workers comp cases. And then, um, Several years later, I was approached by a couple uh, attorneys that I know on different cases, and they needed somebody that could come in and explain some football-related issues. And they needed somebody who could come in and explain, uh, is this normal? Is this ordinary to the game of football, or is it something extraordinary? And Several of these cases, I, I would say, sure, no problem. I'll come in and talk. And they go, how much do we pay? I go, oh, nothing. Don't worry about it. It's football. I, I love talking about football. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I then had an opportunity. Uh, there were some, some coaches, or two or three different cases involving coaches who were injured on a football field. Hmm. And they had filed workers' compensation claims. And there were two judges who suggested that maybe the attorneys in those cases come and talk to me to see if something was ordinary or regular or, or how this person got hurt. Was it feasible? And then after their injuries, was it feasible for them to go back and coach again? And this is all information that at the time would have been relevant in a workers' compensation case. And I can remember this one judge coming in the hallway he goes, hey, Vic, come down here. We got to talk to you. And so I'm talking and informally, I've become their agreed expert and I'm helping them figure out if this guy can go back to work and coach still. And we worked through it. And that then 
created another aspect of my, my um, legal background where I was able to merge law and football. And uh, over the years, I've become an expert witness uh, in football injury cases dealing with the standard of care and if something is ordinary or extraordinary to the game. Um, and I approach it uh, from, a, from a, a standpoint where I am a complete objective, unbiased uh, expert. And that's how you're supposed to be. I'm not a plaintiff's expert. I'm not a defense oriented expert. I call them like I see them, like I do on the football field. And I've been brought in by different, different people. I've been brought in by a judge and I've been brought in by plaintiffs and, and defendants. And the vast majority of the times I've been contacted, I usually reject the cases or they don't want me because they know I'm not going to say something favorable for their side. And as I like to say, I'm not a hired gun. I will, I love the game of football. I love everything about the game. And if I can give somebody an objective, honest understanding to help them understand the game better, that's what I want to do. I don't want to slant an opinion one way or another. So I've been, I've been very fortunate that it's been a little bit of a, a side business for me because it's, uh, it does require me to have a lot of my personal time taken away uh, that I'm you know, reviewing transcripts and, and giving opinions and those type of things. So because of that, I have the opportunity to have a little side business and it's, and it's not much uh, of a side business. And I suppose that if I were to accept cases, it could be a business. But that's not, I'm not in the business of being an expert witness. I just happen to do it. It's fascinating that the, the worlds merge, you know, football officiating and, uh, you know, work in law and everything. Uh, I, I think that is so uh, interesting. And, and, and Vic, I got to ask, does one help you do the other better? Like does football officiating help you work better in law or does law help you better on the football field? Is there any correlation there? Well, there, there's, there's probably a correlation we can talk about in a minute. Um, I generally say, no, there really isn't a, a correlation that helps me do anything better. From a law standpoint, I just use football because everybody likes to talk about football. Mm -hmm. And if you get around judges or attorneys, they are self-professed experts in any and everything. <laughs> and, um, let, me, let me tell you, let me tell you, um, they, uh, they, they, they are self-professed experts and, and they will tell you that they know more about the rules or more about the game or the more about a situation than you. And they believe it. Oh. And I, I've, I've had people come and actually <laughs> plays that I've been involved in that have been on television and they want to come in and they want to start telling me that, oh, this is the way it should be. And I don't know what, you know, what we're talking about. And I'm just going, okay. I've had judges actually define what clipping is when it's not really clipping um and 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 the best thing is uh, uh, and I, I i don't know if you remember well you do i think uh you know ryan bleiberg mm -hmm. baseball umpire oh, yeah oh yeah you probably also know dan perangini baseball umpire mm -hmm. those i've had those two guys like to to bait judges because they do they do the same thing i do and and they like to go in and bait judges with uh, some football question and have them just go off and then turn around and say, well, why don't you ask Vic? He'll tell you what it is. <laughs> That's so funny. 
So. Oh, I didn't know you knew Blyberg. That's funny. Yeah, he's oh, fan, fan, what he's he's a he's a real gentleman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he must be a little different yeah, in the courtroom. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, great umpire, fun guy, fun guy. But but that's that's so true. Yeah, you know, you know, Ryan Ryan is a is a baseball umpire and. And, but again, we have different personalities. So in the courtroom, it's a different personality versus on the, the diamond. And many times when we see each other in the courtroom, I'm always asking about his travel and, and he'll ask me about my travel. And because we're, we're officials, we, we understand the, the ups and the downs. And there's sometimes that there might be downs that I wanna share or he wants to share. And we both can commiserate. And that's a real fun part of our professional relationship. Uh, I love it, man. I love it. So, so outside of this, where, where, where kind of you currently uh, with the law firm? Uh, I, th- I think you wrote here on the, uh, sorry, the, the, uh, your resume here and everything. Um, as far as your current occupation, kind of what is your day to day now, uh, as far as law goes, or, you know, kind of, since that's kind of a side thing, what, what's kind of your main uh, focus these days? So, so I'm still, I'm still, the, I work for a California workers' compensation defense firm and I'm the managing director of our Los Angeles office. And so that's, that's the day to day. We just, we handle regular cases um, before the workers' compensation appeals board in, in California. And, and that, gotcha. that's, that, that's, the, that's the regular thing. I'm just waiting for, for the season to start back up so that we can get back on the field. No kidding. Yeah. So you're a pretty busy guy there in California. Uh, yeah. You talk about the, the football season, the college season already was played. Now the, the big sky, which is the one double a conference that, uh, that you've worked in. And, and uh, that now last I heard they, they postponed it to the spring. Are they still planning to do that or did they cancel the season? No, they have not canceled the season. So as of yesterday, um, what I know for certain uh, is that we know nothing. <laughs> they're still planning on having a season uh they're still planning on having games on the 27th of february um and from that point forward we will we'll know i think things are very dynamic with the coronavirus pandemic uh and i do know that uh, sacramento state who is in our conference is not going to play in the spring league uh, and there may be some other school, a couple other schools that may play a modified schedule or choose not to play in the conference. Um, but we don't know that for certain. Uh, and that's, I think things are very dynamic. So I think it's just, some, for us, we have a clinic at the end of this month. It's going to be a virtual clinic. We had one in, in August because we were ready for the uh, fall season and we were up and ready to go. The fall season for us never occurred. And then we had this winter or spring season. And so we're preparing and we're, we're ready to go uh, and we'll be ready to go if, if necessary. And, and we're all keeping our fingers crossed. Yeah. Because uh, one, you, you miss the game of football. Two, you, you, you miss that game fee. It's kind of nice you know, <laughs> having, having that come in. Um, yeah. No but, you know, I think you also miss the camaraderie and, and, mm-hmm. and the weekends and, and those things will be different under under this pandemic. Well, we, we talked about the ability to talk football uh, and, and prepare for a season is uh, is liberating. You're able to put you know focus on that, and, and so I think it could be fascinating to see 
football played in the spring right alongside uh, the baseball season, which starts up next month. I mean, can you imagine uh, a day game at maybe say Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, a day football game, and then followed up by a, a baseball game that night. I mean, if you're a, if you're a diehard sports fan or, uh, you know, maybe the officials uh, say you had a day game and Blyberg happened to be up there at night. I mean, can you imagine the fun everyone could have two sports well, at once? Could, could you imagine if you, you, you did both sports? Oh, there you go. As a, as a guy who's worked multiple sports, I, I will say I have worked multiple sports in one day. Uh, maybe not at that level, but <laughs> working both sports. Woo, fun stuff. I hope you guys do get to play, Vic. I know that um, the, the players, coaches, and definitely the officials want to get on the field. Uh, I had the opportunity to have Scott Root on here a few months back talking about the upcoming season. And uh, to know that now that we're here in 2021, potentially playing in the spring, what interests me is let's say you you guys do play, and I think you said end of February, then it's a really quick turnaround, isn't it, to play football again the following August or September? It is. I mean, so if you think about it, the normal normally a, a football program would have its spring football, and that's just for a few weeks. And that's practice and some scrimmages and culminates with one inter-squad spring game. But you're actually playing a season, and I think that they'll limit the number of games. And, and different different conferences are different. You know, we I mean we have in um, in uh, Southern California, we we have if you want to include Cal Poly in Southern California, you have the Big Sky Conference, and you also have the Pioneer Football League, University of San Diego, and we have many officials who are in the California, Nevada, Arizona areas. Uh, who officiate a lot of schools and normally they're officiating just practices and so the players can recover but the players are now going to have to practice and then play five six seven eight maybe nine games big skies is going to limit the seven games that's a lot you're going to finish in may and then have your you know your summer camp starting in july that's not a whole lot of turnaround time the other aspect of that for players who have been injured you don't have a whole lot of time to heal number one number two with the pandemic you know you have to remember that many of these hospitals and medical facilities have not done some of the electric elective surgeries such as tendon repairs and cartilage disectomy or you know mesectomies and um, various other types of orthopedic surgeries that a player might have in the off season completely recover and then be able to to go the following fall. So these are things I think will impact the game. And same with officials. I mean, we we batter our bodies a lot. It's nice to have a little bit of time off. Yeah, I hear you there. No, there's definitely going to be some challenges, but I do hope that the season gets in and, and we'll see what happens. You know, cross that bridge when we come to it type of thing. We just hope we, we can get to the bridge. You know what I mean? Uh, well, Vic, speaking of the big sky, what was kind of back to your officiating journey uh, you worked high school, uh, you went to law school, you did all that. Uh, you were working in the South Bay unit. How did you eventually climb the ladder? You know, what were your steps along the way in eventually getting to the Big Sky Conference? A lot of luck. A lot of luck. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, I, I, think, I think that, they, that, that the climb um, is not necessarily what I do, but it's what everybody around me has done, my peers. I, I'm sure that I've advanced in my career because of 
situations and plays that I've been observed on that may not have been 100% me. You know, it's a crew, it's a crew thing. So I might look like I'm good out there, but if I'm looking like I'm good out there, it's because I had other officials out there who are equally as good, who are helping me or push me. And so it's not just me that's advancing and it's, it's, it's everybody that's, that's been a part of my journey, I think. And I, and I really do believe that. And I, you know, you and I were talking, you know, off the air here a little bit and, you know, I've had, I have, I have goals and I've always had goals. And I think goals are very important. Everybody needs to have an ultimate goal, a career goal, a season goal, and a weekly goal, an off-season goal. And the goals are, again, super important. And if your goal is to, to advance, then you have to make sure that you're advancing correctly and properly. And some advance much quicker than others. Um, I'm, my, my career has been very much like molasses. It, <laughs> it, 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 it is not moved certainly at the speed in which I would have liked, but you know, you can only control the things that you can control. And I think that in my advancement, it's been because, you know, I've had to learn along, along the way, sometimes the hard way and, and, and a lot of times the easy way, learning from others. And I think that if, if you're going to advance, you need to be coachable. You mm-hmm. need to be a sponge. And, and pick up everything you can from people. Mm-hmm. The other thing too is it's attitude. Mm-hmm. You gotta have a positive attitude. And even on those bad days when it's really, really hard that, that you don't feel like you wanna have a, have a positive attitude, you need to psych yourself up to say, you know, I'm having a, I'm having a bad day, but I, I've, I've gotta get back on the horse and do this again. And, and you know, it's clearly with the support of family and a strong wife, you know, that really helps us get through uh, the bad times. The other thing too is, you know, having, having a mentor always helps, but having peers, you find that one or two peer friends who you can be confident with and confide in one another. And you can talk about the good, the bad, the ugly, and it's okay. And there's no judgment. And sometimes you need someone to vent to and sometimes they need someone to vent to and i think that's really important i've been very fortunate i've had a lot of people um that uh i've trusted in those confidence thank goodness that they won't repeat some of the things i've said because those probably would have killed my career but i'm i'll be very honest with you i believe in being honest i believe in being real human um i've always placed a great emphasis on leadership um integrity I place a, 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 you know, humor is really important. You got to have good humor. And if you can't laugh at yourself, uh, you're, you're, you should be the first person you should laugh at. Oh, yeah. And um, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm a walking joke at times. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I make other people laugh uh, or, or they cringe. Um, but, you know, you, you also need to, to be very loyal. I, and, I, and I believe in, in loyalty. Um, to the nth degree and maybe to a fault. But to me, that's, that's part of my integrity. Um, I will leave no peer behind. I will leave no crewmate behind. And I, I really do believe that that's, that's an important part. And I think that that helps when they realize that's part of your character, that helps you advance through the process. And as you start to get the higher levels, I think it's really important to be logistics oriented. 
Um, I know that on my cruise, I have always been the logistics guy and I have a backup plan or two or three backup plans for almost anything. I will have a contingency plan. So if something goes awry, I'm very comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. No problem. We've got a contingency plan. This is how we're going to do it. And I think that you take those qualities and those have been kind of my forefront of my, of who I am as an official. And then I bring in my mechanics and rules knowledge. I wish I was a much stronger rules knowledge person, someone like Rod Amari, who oh, I mean, man. knows that book. He's so fantastic. He's, he's, so um, good. he's great. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a mechanics guy. Mm-hmm. And mechanics to me were always important. And that's probably the reason why I learned to work all the different positions and master them all. And I was pretty much always a utility guy. I was never a specialist in one position. Um, I love the umpire position and love the referee position, but I've worked them all. And I think that by mastering mechanics and understanding mechanics, you always get yourself in a good position. And I think that that really does, does help. And as I've gotten, you know, kind of more mature in the officiating world, I'm becoming a much stronger um, rules person and having come off the field to the replay booth, I really kind of surprised myself. I'm going, wow, I'm a lot stronger in the rules than I had given myself credit for. I've never been your 100% or your 99% kind of guy. I've always been that guy, 88% to that 94%. If I got a 96, I was feeling really great about myself. But someone like Chris Coit, he's another outstanding rules guy. You know, he's a hundred percenter, Jim Crowley, hundred percenter. Um, these are great rules officials. You know, I, I'm more your, pra- I'm your practical guy. I'm an umpire. I'm your blue collar kind of guy. Put me in, put me in the middle. We'll get this thing work, worked out. We'll get it worked out correctly. I, I think there's a great, you know, that's a really good way to put it. Like you need, you need both of those types of people. That was something I saw in officiating in football, but it doesn't matter any sport really. You need the rules guy. You need the guy. If you don't know the rules, just like if you don't know the law, you can't enforce the law. If you don't know the rules, you can't enforce the rules. You can't, if you're worrying about that or like second guessing yourself, you can't do a a good job in in mechanics. Like it all ties together. There's something for the rules guy, quote unquote, but there's also something for that blue collar guy that just knows how to work a game, how to manage people doing the right thing when the right thing may not be popular or, you know, there's all of those things that tie in. And you talk about mechanics. They are extremely important. Football, baseball, being able to trust your partners by understanding what they're doing and what you're doing. And then there's also times, Vic, where I think you have to maybe do something that goes against the grain, that uh, goes against uh, outside the, the the book, if you will, outside the box thinking, I think, you know what I mean? Uh, I, in baseball, there's times for that. And in football, I know there's times for it. So I think mechanics are extremely important. And there is that 2% of the time, really, where you might have to take a chance and do something that is outside the box, right? Oh, yeah. You know, and, that, and that's where you go. That's where you say, hey, I'm just going to get it right. This is, you know, and I think in football, this is where your football sense comes Instincts, in. right? In, your instinct, yeah. The instinct. There, there is no substitute for instinct. You can't teach instinct. You can't teach that sense. And I know that there's a, there's a push to move up officials quicker than they might be ready for. Yes. And I cringe a little bit because I go, gosh, I hope they're not being 
set up for failures. Mm. But there is no substitute for snaps. There's no substitute for experience. I still, to this day, will go out and I'll work some high school football. Why? Because one, there's no substitute for snaps. Two, it keeps me humble. Mm. It reminds me of, you know, where I started from, but it also reminds me, you know what, I'm an official. So if I, anybody who puts on those stripes, I don't care what level you are. We're all officials. And I really believe that. I drank the Kool-Aid and I still believe that. (laughs) That's outstanding. And you know what, when you kind of go work some of the lower level stuff, that's where you see very weird things happen that can prepare you for later. There's a major league baseball umpire who uh, lived here in Southern California. He would come back and in the off season, he would go work some like uh, 12 year old games. And if everyone's like, why are you doing that? He goes, he wasn't doing a lot of it, but he would say, that's where you're going to see some of the weirdest things, you know, two, two kids on the base at the same time or players running the wrong direction. Like, and so it would prepare them from, like you said, snaps, seeing things to me, I, I retain information way better seeing it than, than reading it on a piece of paper. That's just me though. I'm the same way, exactly the same way. (laughs) Well, 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 you talked uh, about crewmates and, you know, uh, those people you can trust and, uh, you know, someone that's been a big mentor to me uh, was Tracy McFate. He now retired, uh, lives in Las Vegas, and he and I still chat. He, he's been on this program a couple times. He was he had such a tremendous influence to me. And I know uh, for you, you had the opportunity to work with him for a few years, right, at the college level and everything. So what, what can you tell me about uh, Tracy McFate? You know, I cannot think of a negative thing to say about Tracy. Uh, I, I, Tracy will always put a smile on your face. Uh, I loved and cherished every moment I worked with him. And I'll be very honest with you. I, I wish I could still work with him. Mm. I wish he was still out on the football field because I always had a great time. And anytime we worked a game, the game was in good hands with mm. Tracy. He would always get it right. It was, you know, yeah, we, we were very, very, well, I was very fortunate to be able to work uh, many, many games with him on his division three Skyac crew over the years. I would rotate in when he needed an umpire or a line judge. And then we had the great opportunity to work the semifinal NC2A semifinal game for division three uh, back in Delaware. And that was the first time that the Southern California official group had ever been sent that far East. It was also the first time we had gone that far in the playoffs. Wow. And we had an outstanding crew. I mean, just absolutely outstanding crew. We had some of the best times and the best laughs. And I, I think that, you know, from trade for Tracy, what Tracy did, what Tracy did for the Southern California officials into the future at the division three level, uh, I don't think will ever be recorded. He, he really helped the Skyak officials get to the finals. Mm. Uh, he helped them, he helped the, the image in the eyes of the NC2A realize that these Southern California officials are really, really good and we should be using them more and more. And um, I, I mean, there are a lot of stories that I can't share from that trip, uh, <laughs> but the, the, one of the, one of the, the best ones was Tracy saying, Hey guys, uh, we have to be back there Friday. So we're leaving 
either Wednesday night on the all-nighter or we're going to leave early on Thursday morning. So we're back Thursday afternoon and evening because I want everyone acclimated. I want everyone back there in time. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was an invaluable thing because originally I was going to go, oh, I'll just fly back and I'll fly on the all-nighter and I'll get there on Friday morning. He goes, no, absolutely not. That's not something we want to do. We want everyone rested. We worked the game. We had, we had uh, at the hotel, we had the uh, entire NCAA Division Three playoff and championship entourage and the various liaisons from the school and the conferences there. And Tracy very astutely uh, embraced them and had them come join us for for meals. We engaged them constantly. Um, you, we had several very good officials uh, on that crew who in their own right, their own businesses, businessmen, um, you know, myself, et cetera, we know how to talk to people. We know how to, how to really give good customer service. And they left, the NC2A delegates left with a reassured feeling about these guys from California. And they had wondered, you know, why hadn't we, we had asked, actually asked them, how come you never use us, you know, to travel this far? And they go, well, we didn't think you guys would want to. <laughs> and I go, well, of course we'd want to. And, if, you know, usually it's a cost thing. We just, we didn't, we thought it was the NCAA didn't want to spend that money to travel us, which is probably one of the, the issues, but they didn't think we desired or wanted to. And we go, well, of course we did. And this is what we'd want to do. And sure enough, I believe the following year, the year after that, we're back working the uh, national championship game yeah. for division three. And I think Don Corey worked that game, had a concussion in that game. Uh, Opening kickoff yeah. or right after. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So, so yeah, Tra- Tracy McFate, um, just a wonderful guy. And, you know, for years he had been able to take the um, SCCFOA college clinic to Azusa Pacific and made that available to us. Uh, after we had lost the uh, Sequoia Athletic Club location. And Tracy's just been, he's just been a stalwart uh, member of the officiating community and, and just a great guy. Yeah, yeah. One of, just a dear friend of mine and someone I'd greatly admire and uh, look up to. It, it's, it, you could talk for hours football with him and, oh. and stories, and uh, we probably will here soon uh, in the near future. But uh, let, one thing Tracy kind of a well he he put this together was uh the fox command center uh i don't even know what you call us the the game monitor guy we what in 2010 fox decided they wanted to bring in mike Pereira and have him be the officiating expert the analyst and uh he reached out to tracy tracy put together me and you and a, and a good group of guys to come in and be the assistants and to watch these games and notify Pereira of when things uh, in the NFL game uh, needed his attention. And it was something we had the opportunity to do for 10 years. We didn't get to do it this year because of a uh, you know, lockdown and everything. But that experience for me was, uh, was so beneficial, not just in watching, getting paid to watch football. How great is that? But again, the relationships, what, what can you tell me about your experience, Vic? I mean, that's where we first met was working at Fox together, having that opportunity and what it's kind of meant for you over the years or any special memories you've had working at Fox studios. 
Well, I, I absolutely uh, adored it. I, I, I learned so much from Mike Pereira, just listening, watching. I understood the game so much better and so much uh, more, well, certainly from the replay standpoint, I understood the game so much more. And hey, hey sorry, Vic, it's really interesting. Uh, we're, we're having this conversation right now. I just have to say it, and I, I know you'll understand what I mean here. Uh, kickoff in Kansas City. <laughs> we did every, it, Kansas City and the Browns just kicked off for those, uh, and we're, we're recording. And, and in the studio, everyone at their monitor when their game kicks off, you have to say, uh, kickoff in Green Bay, kickoff in Jacksonville. So, yes, Vic, kickoff in Kansas City. Hey, Luther. Your Browns are kicking off. Yeah, <laughs> Luther's Browns. Oh, I feel for him. Well, by the time this episode's out on Friday, uh, he'll either be in a great mood or a, or a Browns mood. So, yeah. Oh, Luther's a great guy. Love Luther. Luther, the man. Again, at, at Fox, a good time. So, sorry not to interrupt, but uh, proceed with your Fox uh, commentary. No, you know, it was, it was, uh, you might be, and jump in here too, and you can probably share this with me, but, um, you know, it was interesting. We got, we, when we first assembled, and they were telling us what we were supposed to be doing. Of, of, this is great. This is fantastic. And realistically, we were monitoring games. We were very much like a replay communicator mm. or the R2 at the college level. And Mike Pereira was the replay official, essentially. And so that gave us really fantastic working skills from a replay standpoint. And then... Uh, we, I, I still remember the very first meeting we had there at the studio and everybody just was so nice that was dealing with us. <laughs> Gosh, they sure did treat us like we walked on water. And then when the season starts, they realize that we're just a bunch of officials. We weren't walking on water anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there was a little bit of a change. Yes. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I, I go, wow, this is this is really it, it was almost perverse the way they, they thought they revered us. Yeah, I was like, oh, you guys are just Pereira's guys. You, you don't. Yeah, yeah exactly. You don't, oh, quite, guys. You don't belong. That, was, that, that wasn't such a bad thing to be known as. No, but, you know, not at all. No. And, and, and I, I have to say that I learned again, learned so much from Mike, but what Mike has done for the game of football mm. and what he's done as a as an official, as a supervisor at the college level, a supervisor in the NFL, and what he's doing now with Blandino, they really truly are giving, they're demystifying the game of football. They're demystifying officiating. And they're basically letting the sports fan know, this is the process that we, mm-hmm. we go through. And this is what we're doing. And really, we're, we're, we're really pretty good. And he calls us out if we're not good. Yeah. It's, it was uh... I'll never forget that after that first season, uh, we, they, they took us to this uh, really nice dinner in, I think it was Beverly Hills or something like that. And our crew, and we showed up and Pereira had just been to the Super Bowl. I think it was a Monday. He flew into LA and went straight to this restaurant and we were all there and we got there a little early and had a beverage or two. And uh, I'll never forget uh, one, one, the, one of the Fox executives who uh, you know w- was there celebrating with us. He told us at the end of the night, uh, whether he meant it or not, he said, Hey guys, you guys were part of one of the biggest moments in, uh, in officiating history, really uh, for Fox to do this and bring in Mike Pereira and to have you guys contribute to that. We greatly appreciate it. And 
it was in that moment where you kind of thought about, you're like, yeah, we were among a pretty special group because now NBA, they have an analyst. Baseball is still kind of on the fence about it. Uh, but right up right there, Mike Pereira in that 2010 season, we were a part of something really special, Vic. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, and the fact that, that Pereira, you know, kept us on and, and asked us, kept asking us to come back. Um, I know that, you know, Rod Amari was on for a while and Rod and I, we, you know, we were in the big sky and we'd race back. Um, you know, if we had a, had a game somewhere, race back on Sundays, that first flight out wherever we were and, or Saturday night, if we could, so that we could be back at Fox in the morning to go on and, 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 and work for him. So it was, it was absolutely wonderful. And the, what I learned and, and the process in which I learned on how to approach a play certainly has changed my officiating career. It, it, it certainly helped move me from the field to the replay booth. Kansas city in the red zone. Um, Anyway, <laughs> these are the things we would have to say during games while we're watching, uh, which was always fun. But yeah, you know, Saturday night, you'd work a game. Uh, even me working junior college or division three, you know, it's a late night and you have a, to be at Fox studios at eight 30 in the morning. And, you know, even if you went straight home, you're getting home pretty late. And uh, I'm not going to lie people, you know, you had a few late night Saturday nights and then early Fox Sunday mornings, they weren't always easy, but it was always worth it to see the guys. And it was, what was probably the most fun for me is seeing you or Tracy or Luther or whoever and saying, Hey, how was your game Saturday night or, 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 and your game Friday night and having that conversation over coffee and uh, you know, those, those donuts and all those things they put out for us, those healthy items. Uh, that was fun for me. And then of course, getting to see Terry Bradshaw, Michael Strahan, what they were all like behind the scenes. I, Michael Strahan, man, God bless him for bringing us those cookies, but man, he would yell and scream like nobody's business when the giants were losing, which was often, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, they're just great times. Yeah. You know, and the things that we did beforehand, you know, I mean, who's going to be the first one, who's going to be the first one there, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and that's actually kind of a, a, a good thing too. I think um, we were so professional. And you could tell the guys who, who, who were part of that group, they were all professional. They had this professional approach. Everybody was kind of like wanting to be the first guy there. Or they, they, didn't, they didn't take it for granted that we were there. We were, we just, this is, and we took it as another officiating assignment, which was yeah, oh yeah, really fun. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I remember like I'm a Rams fan and I was able to say, hey, do you mind if I get the Ram, you know, can watch the Rams game, have the Rams game. And so I was not just getting paid to watch football, but then I was getting paid to watch uh, the Rams play. And they were, they were terrible back then. And, uh, but it was still, it was like this opportunity to bring everything together, to talk high school, college football, to talk NFL and to see, you know, the, the broadcasters, how they are behind the scenes. It was a great experience. I hope we get to go back Vic and do it again, but we'll see. We had a nice 10 year run uh, regardless of what happens. Yeah, it's, it was, it was, uh, it was fantastic. And I, I, I treasure every, every moment of it. Well, let me ask you uh, about instant replay. Uh, you've been an official for a long time. Um, you've become more and more involved in instant replay at the college level. You've also uh, assisting a little bit with some NFL game day uh, type things, but take me first into your transition to from off the field to the instant replay official 
in the big sky, the, the R1, as you said, uh, you're the guy making the decision. So what's that been that transition like, first of all? Uh, well, I'll tell you this. I came off the field. I wasn't ready to come off the field. Uh, so that probably was a blessing in one sense and not a blessing in another because I dearly, dearly miss being on the football field. Uh, I came into... I came into um, the replay booth at the request of my supervisor, Carl Richens, and Carl uh, had called me up. He had been at the national replay uh, uh, clinic, and he essentially had lost two of his seven replay officials to other conferences, to the Mountain West and to the, to the Pac-12. And on my crew, my, my replay official, Dave Pizinski, probably one of the best in the business. Keep your, keep your eye out on him. He will, he will probably be one of the, the premier, just like Gary McNana and Terry Lydon, um, uh, some of the, just the premier, premier replay guys. Mm. Anyway, um, I had already been assigned with Scott Root, a new crew chief. We had our, our, our schedules assigned to us. We had our crew. I was already starting to buy my first set of plane tickets. Um, and I was working as the, as the umpire. And I get a phone call on a Friday from the boss. And the boss says, hey, um, I'm calling because I have an idea. And I'm thinking, you know, you, if you, you might just be a, a good candidate. And I was wondering if you might want to switch positions. And I'm very happy as an umpire. I love umpire. We had just moved the umpire to the offensive backfield. So it's kind of a center judge position. And we were talking about expanding the conference to eight man. And so my last conversation with the boss about positions was I would like to go from the center judge position back to the traditional umpire position right in the middle. Or I know he was looking for referees down the line. I might be interested in moving over to the referee position. So I'm thinking, this is great. I'm going to get the call and get moved back to the middle of the field or put, get an assignment at a referee. So I'm, I'm, that's what I'm thinking. And the conversation, then he says, he goes, hey, let me ask you this. Um, how many more years do you think you have on the field? I'm going, oh, that's not a good question to ever be asked by your boss. And then he, he immediately disclaims it. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm not telling you you need to retire. That's far from it. And, and I go, well, how many years do you think I have on the field? And he says, well, I'm thinking you got about nine more years. And I said, okay, I was thinking about seven, seven to nine more years works for me. And he goes, um, and then this is long pregnant pause and some stammering and some more pregnant pauses. And he says, I'd like to offer you a position in the replay booth. I said, well, that would be really fantastic. I think when I retire, that would be, I, I, that's what I would like to transition to. And he says, no, I mean this coming season. And I'm just floored. I don't know really what to say. In my officiating career, I have never told a supervisor no or let me think about it. It's always been, yes, I'm a yes guy. I will do anything. You tell me, I'll do it. And he says, I think I'd like to move you to, to the R1 position. And let me tell you why. And so then he proceeded to let me know that there was some study that, that had been done or there had been talks that they found that their, their more successful replay officials were officials who had strong analytical skills and could make decisions 
uh, and who were strong in, in the rules, uh, et cetera. And he says, you know, we, we found there are several professions that have lent itself very well to good replay officials. And those professions are engineers, accountants, uh, attorneys, and uh, police command staff, people who can analyze things well and make a decisive, quick decision based on the facts. And he says, I, I think that, you know, coming from law, you would have that skill. And he goes, you know, also working with Pereira, you would have that skill set. And I definitely do have the skill set I've learned having worked from Pereira. And, I, and I, what I have learned from this process is that everything in the replay booth is analytical and everything is a process. And I think really, if, if, you're, uh, if you understand how pilots fly airplanes and, and take a commercial, commercial pilot, let, let's say a commercial cockpit, um, you have your, your, your captain, your first officer, and you used to have a flight engineer. And everything's a process and everybody flies that plane. Everybody has a, has a responsibility and a duty and they fly that plane. And when they encounter something, they immediately go to their checklist and their process. And they're immediately analyzing and making decisions. And that's exactly what we do in the replay booth. And I found that um, I've been fortunate because I've had Mike Pereira's training and I've had you know, a career of, of law and I've learned how to analyze facts and weigh evidence and I've learned how to be very objective. And so that, that does help. The other thing is there's a lot of pressure in the replay booth, especially the college replay booth where we're reviewing almost every play. And, you know, I'm fortunate because I played the game. Uh, I've officiated the game. And so I understand the pressures of the game. I like the pressure of the game. Mm -hmm. I've always liked being, you know, the linebacker or the defensive end with, you know, second and short at the goal. And you keep running plays, run at me. I want that play. I want to officiate that play. I want to decide whether we have a score. We don't have a score. So as long as you have that inner burning desire and you enjoy that pressure, it's great. And part of that pressure, everything goes quiet and you're so focused. And I love that. It's, I mean, it's, um, it's like Nirvana and it's very hard to articulate unless you're kind of, unless you're wired that way, it's hard to to understand that somebody can really appreciate that pressure. So, so a play goes to replay and, and every fan sitting on their couch, drinking a beer, eating nachos, they, they see the replays that the, the replay official makes and they fans all think, well, I, you know, it's clearly this, or it's clearly that. Uh, and so sometimes they're critical of replay officials. What, what take, take us into that. When you see a play, you already kind of covered some things there, but, but what is the, I don't know. What exactly are you looking for? Are you looking for a hundred percent? If you, if there is any doubt, do you say, uh, I can't commit to this? I mean, you're that unbiased voice, those unbiased eyes, if you will, whereas sports fans or even, even broadcasters, I got to tell you, some broadcasters think they know it all too, but as the replay official itself, what is kind of, I don't know, when you look at a play, what, what is basically your mindset? So the first thing is the presumption. You have to understand as a replay official, the ruling on the field is presumed correct. So as Mm. long as you keep this idea in your mind of the presumption, that's what you're working with. So now I have to have to look at the evidence Mm. and the evidence are going to be the replays, the different angles that I have. And 
I'm weighing that evidence. And does that evidence, can, can it confirm with indisputable video evidence that it did or did not occur? Um, if it didn't, well, can I find something that's conclusively telling me the opposite? If I can't, then it sits in the middle and it probably is gonna to have to stand. So then what you have to do is evaluate your evidence and our evidence are the different camera angles. And doing this, you get to learn what the best camera angles are. And I have to say that <laughs> Dean Blandino, who is the, uh, the NC2A uh, replay uh, commissioner, that's not his title, but he's, he's, yeah. he's the guy. Uh, he has really, truly helped us understand which are going to be the best angles to look for and, and what we want to see. And, and once you get through that, then you learn, okay, I, 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 the first two angles are not really going to help me. I need some other angle. And if you don't have that angle, you realize you're going to have to stand with the presumption. Yeah. So, so the presumption presumption that the call is correct. It, is it similar to like in law where there's a presumption of innocence until proven guilty? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. And interesting you say that because um, the presumption in replay is a much higher standard than it is in, in a court of law. You know, ours is indisputable video evidence, which is such a high standard. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it's, it's a, a scintilla of of evidence. I mean, that's, that's what you're, you were looking at such a high standard. Um, there's a, there's a, 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 a an R2, a communicator uh, up in the uh, Eastern Washington, Idaho area uh, in the Big Sky Conference. Uh, he's a judge, Judge uh, uh, Bob Burton. And he and I will have these discussions uh, about evidence and weighing the evidence. And, it, and it's, very geeky, very ethereal, but we apply law and evidence to, uh, to replay. And we have, there's another replay official uh, um, who used to be my referee in the Big Sky Conference, uh, who's an attorney, and Bruce Palmer. And Bruce Palmer is, um, uh, uh, he just laughs, but he goes, yeah, you know, we can, we can compare law and weighing <laughs> evidence to, to replay. And he doesn't get he doesn't get so geeky about it, but it's an easy transition for us who have that training and that understanding. Oh yeah, no, it, it's it's like I said, I said fascinating twelve times on this show, but already, but it, it's it is it's very interesting and in how it's all connected and it merges. Uh, well, great stuff, Vic. Uh, you know, you had opportunity. You said this year to kind of do some work uh, with the NFL as far as being part of its game day staff. Uh, tell me what that uh, has been like for you. Uh, and, and kind of, you know, what all came about, how that came about, I should say. That, yeah, that, so I, I was hired this year uh, as a game day assistant with the, the NFL, and I had the opportunity to be assigned to, as the video operator in the replay booth for the Los Angeles Rams home games. And I got to work directly in the replay booth with the uh, replay official and the replay assistant and uh, the replay assistant we saw most often assigned to the LA was another Southern California official, Robert Liu. And so I certainly learned a lot from Robert. He was uh, uh, very, very helpful. Uh, and Robin Hall, who was a timekeeper, mm -hmm. he too was, was uh, helpful in me getting um, kind of situated there. And, and Robin 
as you know, he worked with us with Mike Pereira in, in the uh, command center at Fox for quite some time. Uh, yeah, so I had a, a, a Matt Sumstein from Hawaii uh, was hired a couple of years ago into the NFL as a replay uh, staff member, replay communicator and replay official. And so he had, he had suggested that uh, I apply to the NFL and which I did. And then they, they had a position available this year as a, a game day assistant. And so I went to the replay and I had the opportunity to sit in, in other replay officials, replay booths. Mm. Um, I had never sat in a replay booth before. When I was, went from the field, I went straight to my own replay booth. I never had the experience. I didn't know how a replay booth worked. I had to figure it out myself on the fly. So this year, we didn't have football at the college level. It was deferred because of the COVID pandemic. So I had the opportunity to work in the replay booth uh, with, with other replay officials and learned a lot about how they did it and what they did. And, and it was fantastic. Mm. So, uh, you know, again, we, we just, I just worked the home games. I uh, would, would uh, wait for the replays to come up, let the replay official know I've got a good angle here. I've got, you know, third replay up is the one you want to take a look at. It shows ball feet. Uh, the mm. replays five and six are of no use. It's, over, it's not showing what you need. So calling, calling out their attention. A lot of what we did in the Fox Command Center is what I was doing for our replay. Oh, oh I mean, that's great stuff. Uh, and I got to tell you, Vic, if, if, if you ever need a guy to hold a clipboard or, uh, or whatever, send that, uh, send that job application my way. I would uh, love that opportunity. I remember a few years ago when, you know, when the Rams came back and then the Chargers came up here, there was a lot of different job uh, opportunities for guys as far as uh, working the chains, working – uh, you know, the operations, uh, upstairs and clock, clock stuff, uh, really cool stuff for guys to be a part of that. And thank you for taking us inside that uh, replay booth, if you will. But anyway, yeah, any, uh, and any opening that, that pops up, definitely let me know my friend. Cause, uh, would love to contribute. <laughs> hey, I, I love working with you. I remember working your very first game at university of San Diego. Yeah. My, my first, uh, one, I only worked two, but my first division one football game, one double a, of course, but yeah, having you on the, on the uh, game definitely put me at ease. Uh, I, I, I was, uh, thrilled to be with you guys and, and a few, a few other familiar faces. You guys were very welcoming and that's a memory that I will cherish forever. Yes. And that may have been our only time we worked together. Was it? I think, I think it was, I was trying to think if we, we worked any high school playoffs and I'm not sure that we ever worked any high school um playoffs at the no No, i think because at that time you were already you were already working the higher levels and everything and so uh but yeah getting that assignment was a blast for me i believe was jim wary i'm not jim wary um i'm sorry you said uh, his name earlier uh white hat i think he he may have been the white hat but you were on the game i will never forget that jim crowley you think crowley crowley yes Uh, you and crowley because i think you guys were both off from okay. the big sky assignment. And that's why you were on the game. Uh, but yeah, that was a blast. You know, what's funny. I, I think I told you guys this that day. I also worked my first division one baseball game at university of San Diego. So hey. kind of a special place for me uh, in those, in both of those regards. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, you know, and you know, I, as I recall, we had fun doing it. We oh, laughed yeah. um, and the game was in good hands. You know, we laughed, but we took it seriously. 
And you know, Matt, you were there because you earned it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, one of the highlights of my officiating career, uh, ab- absolutely. And I was glad that uh, you, you were there and we got to uh, work together because there's nothing quite like tossing a Vic Winnick a football from the sideline, let me tell you. <laughs> hey, I at least can catch. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I've, I've, I've met some umpires that cannot. and uh, Or uh, I'll tell you this. Uh, some needy there's some needy umpires out there who want a perfect pass but you know much like uh nfl quarterbacks sometimes we're under a little pressure and and it's not always a spiral right into the chest so i appreciate you adjusting with some of the tosses there vic hey it it, it shows people that i'm athletic (laughs) (laughs) and you know what else you as tracy uh often would tell his umpires you know you have permission to go outside uh, the hash marks and, and Vic Winnick. Hey, you're a very mobile guy. You would get out to the numbers and looking for footballs. And man, it was great working with you. Yeah. You know, actually, you know, I, I learned that from, um, I learned it. I learned to move a lot from Al Granado. Hmm. I don't know if you remember Al Granado. He was in the PAC 10 and arena football leagues for years, but he, he was, I was a flank official back when he was in the working college smaller college games and things and I would work with him and he would come into the side zones and so when I moved to the umpire position I did exactly that I became very very mobile and uh you know moved moved out and moved into the side zones um you know why why stick inside the numbers and you know and and other guys that that really helped me at the umpire position along the way Frank Villar uh, I worked many games with him Joe Lloyd uh, Matt Noel, who's passed away. Those are great umpires locally. And, you know, then you had, you had your, you know, your old timers, John Pemberton, um, you know, from the San Fernando Valley unit. And uh, I don't think he ever thought that I was going to be an umpire, but, um, but, you know, and then Al Granado now spent a lot of time, um, you know, helping anyone he could. So there were some great, we had a lot of great umpires. Hindi Ansich, uh, who uh, was in the South Bay unit for years and, Rain Way, who is in the um, Art Gray, uh, just just guys who I got to work with who made me better. Frank Frank VR is is unbelievable. Had him on um, a few months ago. One of the best in the business. And uh, you hang on, you're telling me Joe Lloyd knows what a side zone is? Come on, Vic. Well, no, you know, no, I'm I'm kidding. Only a little. Joe, Joe will get out there. Joe will get out there if he has to. <laughs> if he does he's mad? <laughs> He's one of those guys who wants a perfect pass every time. I'm just saying. I've worked a lot with Joe uh, on the football field and in instant replay. Uh, <laughs> a fun guy for sure. That's a great, great guy. Love Joe. <laughs> oh man. Well, well, we'll try to wrap it up here, uh, Vic. And is there anything uh, in the near future for you? you you've been a lifelong Californian. I mean, uh, you know, football career is now kind of in the replay booth a little bit more now. And uh, kind of what what's uh, the future hold for you in this uh, sunny Southern California? Well, I, you know, I'm still trying very much to, uh, to advance, you know, it, it, I think the day we stop trying to advance is the day we kind of die on the vine. Mm. And, you know, so I, I still have aspirations to advance. Um, I, I certainly have, a, have aspirations to be the, the very best replay official ever. Mm-hmm. Um, if on my off seasons, I can, can still work University of San Diego from the replay booth, I definitely will do that. Uh, I will always continue to officiate, certainly at the high school level, uh, maybe if, you know, one or two games a year uh, to help guys, to help me keep, you know, keep me honest. Um, you know, the, 
so so that that really is 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 what I'm what I'm you know I, I'm doing kind of career wise you know and I and again I just want to want to achieve and get better and, and, and be the best I think you know and as far as uh, Southern California you know uh, my wife and I are are moving to uh, or to uh, Idaho ah. in, to the Boise area and um, we'll still stay connected to to uh, Hermosa Beach but. Um, you know, there's just, there's, there's a lot of adventure out there. And, and uh, I, you know, I still have a lot of years here left in football. And if I can help anybody, you know, that's, that's what it's about. It's about helping, helping officials, helping them with opportunity. And the other thing too is, you know, I have, we have a lot of peers who mm-hmm. have, because of different situations, the, the whack folding or football teams and deciding they're not going to have conferences or, or the football teams decide they're going to drop football. Schools decide they're going to drop football. We lose the opportunity. So whatever I can do to help guys, to help them, that's what I want to do, especially the guys who have been left behind. It's like, hey, I'm not going to leave you behind. And I, I really hope that, that we have the next generation of our leadership in our, our football world understand that and, and really want to help help everybody and, yeah. and, and make the best. Cause this is one of the greatest things that you can do. I, I just mm-hmm. love officiating and I, I hope everybody else does too. Oh, that's very well said. Very well said. And uh, you know, I've, I've done a lot of baseball, but football has always been near and dear to my heart and something I miss a little bit and maybe someday get back into it. But uh, for now, it's just fun talking about it. And uh, Vic, I really appreciate you talking about football and kind of the just all everything that goes into it. My one final question is, is again, out of left field. Uh, uh, I just thought of it. I said, I've never asked Vic this question. Vic, what is with the bow ties all the time? You always wear the bow ties. What's up with that? You know, it's, it's just something different. Um, I don't wear it all the time, but yes, it is something different. And uh, yeah, I just, just decided I'd like to, to, to change up. So I, I'll wear, wear a bow tie at work or I'll wear a you know, regular tie, but I just mix it up. Hey, you know, I did want, I did want to share one thing since we are talking about football and, and something I think it's really serious. And I do this I, every time I have an opportunity to talk at a clinic. And I did want to share this because um, it is something that I really, truly do mean. And it's part of me to the core as an official. I, mean, I think that we as officials have to understand our role and who we are and what we do at all levels. And if you understand that we are the last bastion of integrity that the game has, and that we are unbiased arbiters of the rules. We have a duty, we're charged with a duty to equitably enforce the rules and to apply just, you know, the just penalty, the just enforcements. Uh, we don't have any allegiances. Our only allegiance is to the game itself, not to any city, school, conference, mm. but to the game of football. That's our allegiance. We're a steward of the game. We take the game from one generation to the next. We're constantly studying the rules and we have to be students of the game constantly just to get better. But something that I think is really important for all officials, especially those who work the high school level, we have a, we have a very, very special, special role that I don't think people think about. We are guardians of an old man's memory. Now, if you think about this, how many times have you worked some senior's last game he will ever work. Or some sophomore who won't play varsity, but it was his last game. And when that kid turns 80 or 90 years old and he's sitting in the chair by himself 
and he reflects back and he just has a memory, a memory of being on a football field. Can you as an official say that day I brought the best, I was the best, I made the best game. I was a guardian of this old man's memory. A kid who's not an old man yet will be. And when he remembers back, will he remember the game or the opportunities of playing that you afforded him? And I think that that's an important thing to, to kind of think about. It's, it's, you know, very ethereal. I understand that. I try to always tell that to crewmates when we work the last regular season game and when we work a playoff game, we're fortunate. We get to come back, but some kids out here won't. And that plays true at the junior college level for the second year guys. And then the college level for, mm. for uh, you know, every, every single game. So to me, that's really an important ethereal aspect of what we do as officials. That is uh, beyond beautiful uh, and very well said, Vic. Very, very poetic. And uh, man, I think that's a great way to wrap things up here. Uh, thank you so much for that. I, I will definitely carry that with me as I'm sure other listeners will as well. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you doing this on short notice. Uh, man, I'd love to do it again down the road. All the best to, to you and your family and, and you know the, the transition to, to Boise and, and everything, Vic. Uh, this was... I knew it would be fun. I didn't think it would be this much fun. You know what I mean? Well, thank you, man. I greatly appreciate it. Anytime, feel free to call me. It's been my honor and my privilege to be able to spend your Sunday morning, you know, with, with, with me. Um, it's your Sunday morning. You gave it up to just to talk football and I was, I'm tickled pink to do it. And <laughs> anyone I can help, anyone in your unit, anyone of your listeners, you, any of our peers, right? Amen. I'm, I'm, I'm the guy who will help. So whatever I can, no, I mean that, I really do mean that it's, uh, I don't leave, I don't like to leave guys behind and, and I, I really do believe in giving guys opportunities that that's what this is about. Yes, sir. Well, you're the man Vic. Uh, thanks again. And we will chat uh, very soon. I hope. I look forward to it. Take care, Matt. Thank you so much. Well, what a way to Get us around third and home safe for the weekend. Uh, talking with Vic Wittick. I could have talked with you for another hour and a half, Vic. That was a long conversation. And uh, unfortunately, we had to wrap it up before these games kick off here on, on Sunday. Uh, we got football to watch this weekend. But you know what? Uh, I wouldn't have it any other way. I could have talked with you uh, much longer and kept the conversation going. Uh, just a blast catching up with my good friend Vic Winnick, Talking football. Talking uh, some law. Talking about replay. Just uh, life in general. Such a good time. And, uh, hey, Vic, next time I see you, I hope it's very soon. Uh, first round is on me, my friend. We got some catching up to do. And uh, hopefully we see each other again next season at Fox Studios when the NFL kicks off again. If, uh, if they'll have us back, we're not sure yet. But that's always a lot of fun, and I hope to get to see you then. But it, uh, if not then, then sooner. So thanks again, Vic. That was an absolute blast. Thank you for coming on the program. Well, guys, that will wrap up another week of shows here on the Get Home Safe podcast as we put out episodes Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We will do it again next week, God willing, of course, with our schedules and jobs and all these different things we got to do. Uh, Monday, I will have full reaction from the two uh, conference championship games, the AFC and NFC title games, talking mostly about that. We might talk about the McGregor fight on Saturday night yeah, as he steps back into the octagon against Dustin Poirier. Uh, big fight there in UFC. My brother Sam Hersema should 
be back from his uh, couple week hiatus. He's joining us usually on Mondays to help me break down all the sports action. And I'm sure he has a few thoughts of his own regarding uh, current events and just uh, random thoughts, as we like to say here on the podcast. Wednesdays, we'll be joined by Bill Barnes once again. He's here every single Wednesday on the weekly Wednesday Wayne, retired police officer and college baseball umpire, as well as former college football official at one point, too. Uh, he, he joins us every week for some very strong opinions and some... Uh, 